Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the Nile or Nine podcast. You are listening to the voice of Niall Byrne, and with me, of course, is the ever-present uh, Nile or Nine podcast co-host. It is Andrea Cleary. Hey, Niall, how are you? Hello, how are you? I'm good, thank you. We're still good. warm. We're still warm. We're still warming yeah. up. Ooh, yeah, and we're going to talk about um, a musician today, which uh, who uh, who was God pulses racing. Heat? In many ways, <laughs> who brought heat on himself and brought heat to the world. And who was hot. Music, music. Mm-hmm. And who was More hot. More crucially, very hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, today's episode is all about George Michael, who is one of the be- best-selling musicians of all time. And somehow still, I feel like, doesn't quite get his due as well. So 100% agree. He just yeah. doesn't, as a songwriter, I think, especially, yeah, he doesn't sure. get enough credit. So I'm I'm happy that we're talking about him today. Do you remember when we went to Galway ages ago, you and I drove to Galway and we were driving back and I don't know what prompted it, but we got talking about George Michael anyway. And we just started playing some George Michael songs on the drive back. And I think since then we've had it in our head that we want to do a a full episode just dedicated to him. Um, And it's coincided with the release of a the uncut version of his new documentary Freedom. So yeah, relatively new documentary Freedom. There's a box set of of the older album as well that came out last week. Just kind of a yes. more of a tie-in, that, more of an excuse to talk about George Michael than any other anything Not else. Not that really. any excuse is needed, but here no. we are. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to talk about talk about George today. Um, did you like George Michael when you were young? Yeah, we're gonna get into yeah. that. We're gonna get into all that as well um, okay. for sure. Because I mean, my I think my first association with George Michael is my mother. <laughs> and, uh, Me too. Like Me she too. loved George Michael. Um, yeah, mine too. But my mom wasn't, a, isn't a big music fan. Um, like generally, 
but as in she didn't enthuse much about music, but George Michael was one of the few artists mm. that she really did care about and, and love his music. And and that was in the car. I remember going to school and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. So when you're 14, you're like, oh, the older albums, <laughs> you know, it's in the car. There's a CD yeah. version of it in the car or whatever. So, I, yeah, I remember one of my first memories of George Michael. There was the, the CD, the the double box set CD of Ladies and Gentlemen, The Best of George Michael was in our house and mom would listen to it. But I remember watching like, I can't remember what it was called, like the, the chart show on RT um, that would just play yeah. like the, the top 10 music videos. Or top 30 hits was. Was it, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. And um, there used to be like a quiz before the break and then you'd get the answer after the break but you or, or you get the answer at the end of the show but you ring in to um to win something and the question was what's the name of george michael's like new cd or whatever and i said ladies and gentlemen the best george michael and i was really young when that came out and i remember my mom and, and my dad looking at me and they were so impressed they were like oh, andrea you should ring in and i've never rang in anything before or since um but I called in and I got through and I was like, my name is Andrea Clear. And you have to like leave a little message. <laughs> I was like, and the answer is C, the ladies and gentlemen, the best of George Michael. <laughs> and uh, I didn't win anything, but Aww. I don't know why, but that memory is just, I think it was maybe the first time that I I, re I got something right. Um, yeah, you got the trivia. Yeah, yeah, I got the trivia. Um, yeah, I didn't win anything, but we already had the CD in our house. Um, we must have, because otherwise how would I have known it? Um, but yeah, mum is big George Michael fan. Huge. Yeah. 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 That's great. Um, yeah. And I think it's always been, he's always been, I think the more I've, the more time has gone on, the more time I've, uh, the more I've appreciated who George Michael was and is uh, as an artist. Um, certainly a really interesting person, as it was with Luscus as well. I mean, he, he was, he was such a character and he was such, he was very, as we were talking before the podcast, he's so articulate and so, um, mm. so knowledgeable about what, what his intentions were and what, who he wanted to be. He remained mm. throughout his entire career, his own person. And regardless of what happened, he was himself. And that's number one. And I think that's very aspirational for a lot of artists to look to. Um, I think that's the number one thing you have to be when you're a pop star is yeah. you have, you have to really and we still see it today that pop stars really need to double down on being themselves. And he was really a, a pioneer in in that because he, he did a lot of things that uh, attracted a lot of controversy, um, not just in his personal life, but um, in his kind of in his musical decisions and career decisions as well, which we'll no doubt get to as well. But um it was all for the better because his career is just, you know, it's kind of unparalleled. Uh, in the 80s when it comes to everything that he pioneered he's oh, he's amazing i love him yeah of course and we're not going to talk too much about wham but we have to start with wham because i mean yeah. that started it at all uh, george was a he was a son of a of a greek cypriot uh, restaurateur and his mother was a dancer an english dancer um he went to a school in bushy in london and that's where he met andrew ridgely his wham partner and wham was kind of you know they first started as a short lived ska band called the executive which didn't work out obviously and then uh, they formed the <laughs> duo in 1981 so but it wasn't long before like wham you know, full 
they really didn't. They took off so quickly. They became such a huge deal. Obviously, you know, all of their songs, like we're talking mm. about Club Tropicana, um, Everything She Wants, Freedom, the original version, uh, the original song, Wake Me Up Before That's You Go-Go. Christmas. I remember Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go is a, um, is a song I remember like hearing it's a school teacher teaching me teaching me us in school it was like yeah. a really simple song it was like i was like what why is it being woken up for i don't get it i don't understand. yeah i i remember <laughs> a, a, an outside music lady coming in because i don't think we had music in, in my primary school and an outside music lady coming in i was in like very very small infants um maybe senior infants. And she taught us, wake me up before you go, go on all these different percussion instruments and um, uh, tambourines and things. And also hit me with your rhythm stick. And like those wow. two songs are always connected now in my mind. Maybe there was a curriculum so because weird. like, I think I had the same thing. I maybe she went that. to your school as well. <laughs> yeah. Like it was, so a, it was, a, it was a teacher that was like, a, it was a sub teacher or whatever who came in and did mm. this or whatever. So I yeah. remember singing that like, wake me up before we go, go before you go, go. And, I think hit me with your rhythm stick is probably there as well. It must have been yeah. a curriculum thing. It must, must have been. been. She must have been going around to all, all the schools doing it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I remember I, I used to be like, wake me up before you go, go. And I'm like, oh, like, like if your mom has to go to work early. So she wakes you up. Because <laughs> <laughs> how else are you going to go? <laughs> like, it's just the pure innocence. But that's a song that kids love. And I think starting a, a career out with a song that kids like is a really good idea like the Beatles had loads of songs that kids just absolutely adore as well I think yeah. it's, it's one of the hallmarks of a very good pop act is if you can get the kids in while also not pissing off their parents if they want to listen to it that's that's big um yeah and last Christmas of course as well you know the best um, I mean it's it's the best, the best Christmas, Christmas song, song yeah. of all time um, I mean we're not even going to talk about it that much because yeah, that's how it, much uh, and it, and it is know. July <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but, listen. Yeah, I think. Wow, we're amazing. One of my favorite DJs. Sorry, not me. One of my favorite DJs, Young Marco, played last Christmas at a uh, in the middle of a July at a summer festival, and mm. I just thought it was great. I was like, why not? It's a great time. I like that. Um, and you know, as well uh, on on Wham, like the older I get, the more I think Club Tropicana is maybe their best song. Um, yeah, and it's probably. It's probably because I'm growing more into my Yacht Rock era, um, like just personally. <laughs> and I just think yeah. it's just the perfect like Yacht Rock pop song, Yacht Pop. Um, it's, I just it's think it's great. Yeah, I mean, it's it has got that weird intro, which is when you're DJing is really hard to play because you're like, it doesn't yeah. really, it kind of, there's all this atmospheric noise of and clinking of glasses. And then and this the bird like, song and stuff. Yeah, well, it's like it? a really yeah. weird uh, intro. And then uh, all mm. of a sudden it kicks in and it's like, you. Yeah, well, he'd he'd keep kind of those those uh, unrelated intros throughout his career as well. Like there's lo loads of his songs. Um, I mean, outside, which we'll definitely yeah. talk about later, has um, w w in the music video has that like seventies porn bass intro, which is just amazing. Um, and as soon as I hear that, I'm like, oh my god, outside is happening. <laughs> <laughs> 
But um, yeah, that's skipping ahead. But wham, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, look at the songs that they had. Everything she wants. Club Tropicana, Wake Me Up Before You Go Go, I'm Your Man, um, Last Christmas, The Edge of Heaven, even Wham Rap as well, which. Which was uh, their first Wham single, rap. then failed, and then they came back. I never heard it. Wham Rap like, until. Did you know? Uh, past couple of days, yeah. And oh, really? I, I'm not surprised. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know. It's got a bit of a charm to it because it's it, like. It was a, a different a rap, time. Yeah. It's a rap record when there was, when certainly white English acts weren't doing uh, no. rap songs. No. And, no, uh, definitely not. But they, they were the first <laughs> pop group to go to, to visit the People's Republic of China, which I didn't know until I read that uh, yesterday. Um, I don't know if they performed there. But they certainly visited, um, which is kind of amazing. Like that's like wham, and and they were battling with Culture Club to be like you know they they were kind of always having uh, chart battles with Culture Club and a kind of pop eighties pop version of the Oasis Blur thing. Even though I think they all got along quite well, um, but yeah, it's amazing to see how that just kind of spurred him off. But like he he seemed. Certainly through watching the that documentary, it seemed as though the Wham years were relatively happy years for him. Like he talks about, you know, ha- having a, a partner in music to keep you grounded. And he's quite open about having like quite a large ego that he wanted to go on and compete with Michael Jackson and Prince and these huge like megastars and kind of thought or knew that he had the potential, he had the talent and he had the vision to do that. But while he was in Wham, you know, the, you can't help but kind of have one foot on the ground. Um, and then when Wham ended, obviously then it, there was the the trip to America and, and, and the rest is history. And I think his ego did take a bit of a, um, well, it's, it certainly came into its own, um, mm. for fate. I mean, um, well, Wham not in a bad way. I, th- I think ego is important for pop stars to have, but you know, no, it he's very clear in, in what he wanted a lot of the time. And I think what he wanted mm. when, in the Whammyer was to be famous. And then when he got the fame, he he realized, like many others before him, that uh, it doesn't fill the hole that maybe you had in you in the first yeah. place. Which you know, and I think Wham probably looking back at them now, you're like when you when you first hear Wham, you're you're usually young and you're like, this is they're fun. I'd say yeah. they were pretty annoying to a lot of people at the same time, and they do Little talk crop about that. tops, very yeah. camp, like just, like very camp, yeah. like they were dismissed as vapid teeny boppers for sure. Uh, yeah, and but they always insisted, uh, George Michael and Andrew Ridge always insisted that they were poking fun at the idea of being yeah. these kind of pop idols. They were always well. Like, it didn't help that George was also an absolute heartthrob. Like he was a completely yeah. just gorgeous looking man. Um, There's a great also, bit in that documentary where you see him running down the runway. Um, I think I think it's a big, I can't remember what concert it is, but big concert, maybe one of their last ones. And he just is oozing so much sex appeal and knows what he's doing. And then by contrast, there's another oh, yeah. wing 
where Andrew Ridgely runs up and he's not, he just couldn't quite have the star power. Doesn't you know? quite have it. Doesn't quite have it. I mean, you know. I always found that so charming about Wham though, because you have George who's just, you know, this where, as, as you said, just oozes sex appeal to men and women. I think he's just, he's almost this like, genderless form just just he's just sexy that's it and then yeah other side of the stage just sort of like on the guitar and bopping around or whatever <laughs> and it's I, I always found that quite sweet about the two of them you know whenever you see um old performances yeah. on top of the pops you know they're, they're always played out there like around christmas time whenever you see the two of them like oh god yeah it really makes sense that one of these would go on to become a global superstar and the other didn't not in a bad way just well you know, i think, I think was the always point about andrew originally is that he didn't want to uh, go yeah. on any any longer no. and and i think even there's a parkinson interview that uh, i watched that george uh, is talking about and he's like oh, he's used to soft surfing and he's happier than me probably i'm still yeah. people have to talk about him because i was still here now here doing this so you know i guess it's kind of a weird reflection but it's it's not something yeah. that is you know, I mean, he did. He did what he what he did when Wham, a wildly successful group. Um, so to expect him to go on and do more is is mm. quite a lot of pressure. But I think we've we've much pressure. more of an understanding of that sort of thing now. But I mean, mm. in the eighties, to not like for for one of a duo to go on and become a megastar, and for the other one not to, it, you just assume that that other person had failed that that Andrew had failed that he yeah. didn't have what it what it took or whatever whereas now I don't know about you but when I hear of musicians who have just sort of gone and you, you know like well what's his name from Blur just kind of runs a cheese farm now and just people who are just going and like pursuing other dreams outside of the business after being battered by it for for decades you know it's I, I think we collectively have much more of an understanding of like how the fame machine works and why people would want to get the hell mm. out of it as we'll as we'll absolutely talk about with George as well like he absolutely suffered for um going going on and becoming the star that he did it didn't come without a price you know yeah absolutely absolutely and i think you know i mean his solo work is when it starts is so interesting because you know he 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 is pitching himself as that as the i want to be so big i want to be the big star and i'm i'm ready for it and um, but i think he also wanted to do something more sophisticated like coming from like his first solo single was actually careless whisper mm. um and that was written i think it was that released while they were Wham, we're going concerned, yeah, but also th- on their I, I album, but it's credited just to him, so I'm not really sure. How yeah, that I think it it was a Wham song because it came out on one of the albums, but then it was released as George's kind of breakthrough song. Um, but I think generally it's considered George's song, um, and it is just one of the most beautiful songs ever written. He started writing it when he was 14 or something, like nuts. Absolutely, I nuts. have a fact about that. Okay. I have a fact okay. about the song. Okay. Um, we are going to have my, a facts, a facts and figures section later. I think. Curse I'll share my fun facts section Great. later. I've, I've no, I've no fun <laughs> facts, so I'm very excited. <laughs> good, good. Um, so I guess we're getting into his solo music. Um, you know, we're talking about he that Wham broke up in 1986, and then from there, what essentially happens is, I mean, it's, there's the big. I'm more sophisticated. I'm, I'm, I'm back as a as a recording artist, and it's. 
like it's the Faith album. It's it's yeah. the debut solo album in '87. Uh, obviously, Faith is the big, big first song. So let's have a listen mm. to a bit of Faith. Baby. Um, so that was Faith, and uh, yeah, a, a great debut single and a great uh, way to, you know, set your stall out as a new artist as well, kind of dressing mm. up in the videos. Well. I think the videos were super important, and we'll, we will uh, explore that as well, because, you know, the album cover for Faith is him in his, in his uh, leather jacket with yeah. no uh, top a underneath. Just, uh, like, yeah, a moment, like such a moment, and the, the music video was so, like, just fashionable it like it was a fashion statement there are you know i think i think it's jean-paul gautier in the documentary is talking about like how high impact it was how sexy it was and how fashion forward it was you know and and that that would be something that would be really really important to him like his style his look it was all part of it for george like really really important and i think faith it's like it's obviously an undeniably brilliant song, but I think so much of its success is down to that music video as well, and and the yeah. impact that it has, you know. Yeah, and immediately with with Faith, the album, he sets himself out as a completely different artist. He has songs like "I Want Your Sex" on it. He very much puts his, you know, his sexuality and desire to the fore of his music as well, and that's something mm. that it was very noticeable. Um around this time because you're really like that didn't really happen in that kind of same other than artists like prince who who even obviously would have been a huge influence on george michael but you know it didn't happen especially not to an english kind of artist he didn't he had that yeah. innate um appeal and innate um ability to be able to really just wear that kind of uh, armor and and wear that kind of um sexual desire in his songs without coming across as a real cheese bag <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's... it's so, it's so interesting to see how even early in his career he was so preoccupied and open about not not his own personal sexuality because he, he was you know he, he he would later be outed but um but just a a fascination with sex and sensuality and expression. And even then when everyone thought he was a straight man, um, that he was working to normalize sex in a way that there was, there was ways where it was okay within the music industry. And there were ways where it was a little bit more of a gray area, a moral gray area. I mean, I, I want your sex wasn't played on a lot of radio stations because it was, you know, a bit too explicit. Um, whereas you'd have like tons of other pop songs that were about sex, but just not as explicitly. So I think even in his early career, he was just so upfront about sensuality and desire. Um, and that, that, that would remain within his career, you know, obviously right, right up until, um, and, and beyond, uh, freedom yeah. and outside and, and that era. 
Yeah, well, speaking of freedom, like interestingly, I guess you know maybe because of somebody like Robbie Williams who has taken Freedom ninety and kind of used it for his own gain as a when he came yeah. out of uh, Take That as a like Which is I'm brilliant. here. I'm a he solo got, artist, you know. The best, the best decision anyone's ever made was to release that as his first. <laughs> but you song, might think, honestly, you like, might think brilliant. in doing that, then he's kind of aping what George Michael did. But that's not really what happened. Like it, mm. it like sometimes listening to Freedom, it sounds like the song that is asserting his boundary between uh, Wham and the solo artist. But I mean, yeah. it is part of that. But certainly, it wasn't the opening statement on the second album which is listen yeah. without prejudice it was actually the third single on that album and that came so this is an album that came in 1990 after the 1987 album uh, faith so and, and as it was coming out i mean i think he did a lot of touring he kind of um george was kind of gone i don't know um this is all great and all but there was a few things that happened that led to him um feeling like this certainly it was the fame was was feeling a bit hollow for him. He was winning a lot of accolades and awards, uh, and in the documentary uh, "Freedom Uncut," he says um, he he got a lot of backlash for winning the R and B award at the American Music Awards, which is you know understandable. As a yeah. white artist, he was he was the win he was winning uh, over black artists, and yeah. that was seen as problematic at the time. But cru- crucially, um, he was winning in a category that he was allowed to be in, but he couldn't compete against black artists in the other categories that he was. So black artists, there would be like best R&B artists or whatever, but it would be mm. like what we were talking about in our Grammys episode from ages and ages ago. Um, oh. Black artists wouldn't be um, nominated in like the best artist cat- uh, c- category. So it wasn't really seen as a fair fight. And I think P- Public Enemy said something about it. Yeah, um, strangely. Um, which I th- so, yeah, which I thought was interesting. I understand that that backlash, but I also do feel sorry for him because he just seemed to have a very genuine love of soul music, and I think he went into that album with the intention of you know exploring black music and soul music, like American black and soul music, with just pure musical intentions and a kind of a a color blindness that is um that kind of comes with privilege but i i just don't think he even realized that that's what he was doing um, i mean certainly I, if somebody was doing that now they would realize it more readily absolutely like and i think that he 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 genuinely seemed um like humbled and to to learn from that experience which i think is really important yeah, well, I mean, it did at first. It like that's why he did call his album "Listen Without Prejudice" because he was like, yeah. like, it doesn't matter what color I am, whatever. But I mean, obviously, yeah, we know which is like, still really not can't great. Move. Really say that now? No, no. And at no, the time, no. that would have been like, I don't see color. It's fine, but actually, your mm. privilege allows you to do this. All that kind of stuff. I mean, yeah. Stevie Wonder in the dock says, uh, like, I mean, he was a soul singer. He had soul. He sings from the heart. He had that's what yeah. soul is. It was like, yeah, that's fine. But also, well, no, Stevie, Stevie Wonder in, in the doc actually said, wait a minute, George Michael is, is white. <laughs> and he like pretended to joke, think that he was, he pretended yeah, to yeah. think that he was black all these years, which I thought was really funny. And he yeah. was like, oh shit, he is blind though, isn't he? <laughs> it's a really funny moment. <laughs> oh God, um, Stevie Wonder must have loads of those uh, jokes oh, around. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's great. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he, yeah. I thought that was really funny. He's like, George Michael's white. Um, but yeah. And, and then, you know, obviously to, to release something called this and without prejudice look again i think the intention was good but we wouldn't get to i don't think that level of understanding <laughs> for another little while within within yeah. pop music that that maybe 
uh, sorry, by we, I mean white people, um, that that isn't the sort of, um, let's all, you know, we're, we're all the same message that white people seem to think it was. Um, hmm. That was very prevalent long after the 1980s. <laughs> that was prevalent yeah. when I was growing up. So like, you know, um, yeah, not the best move, but culture, like in terms of its context, I suppose an understandable one, you know? Yeah. So let's listen to the big single from uh, this one. Of this is, of course, is freedom. Right, freedom. What a song. What a brilliant song. Um, supermodel while you're listening to that and just doing like little <laughs> put jumper up over your head. And just <laughs> well, that's it, isn't it? I mean, that's where it all started God. with his um, his label woes because when Listen Without Prejudice was released, George didn't want to do any press for it. He was very much like, no, I want this to stand on its own. I want to release and make the music. And let's not... It's worth underscoring more than once. He wrote, recorded, and produced all this music. He didn't yeah. really have. He did it all. He did everything. Yeah. He did everything. He was a. And he didn't a, a want to artist. be in the music videos uh, for this album because he just wanted it to speak for itself. Like he said, he just yeah. Want people to listen to the music. So that was the idea. I mean, so he made freedom. the greatest decision in <laughs> music, like music video history, which was to get like a, a group of the most beautiful supermodels in the world to mime in the music video. And it was like, the success of it is insane. Obviously, <laughs> you got beautiful women, a great song, like the fashion people are going to love it. The gays are going to love it. The men, like straight men are going to love it. Like everyone's going to, it appeals to everybody. It was such a shrewd decision to do that. It's an excellent music video. And if it came out today, it would still be, you know, current and mind blowing. Well, you know? yeah. I mean, the fact that he was able to convince these five yeah. supermodels at the time to to do this. Naomi I'd Campbell. say they were jumping at the chance. <laughs> Naomi Campbell in the, the doc is like, you know, obviously she, we know she's a big ego and like, she's mm. like, if you do it, then I'll do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, like Sydney Crawford and Christy Turlington, and Linda yeah. Evangelista and Tatiana Patitz, they're all in it. And uh, yeah, it's a great video and it's something that he would repeat a number of times in his mm. career when he didn't want to be, sometimes he was in the video, but the focus was very much not on him. Um, yeah, so that's where animated, like in Shoot the Dog late, later in his career, he had a, yeah. a, a cartoonish uh, animated version of himself uh, crawling into bed with Cherry Blair and, you know, on, on a rocket on its way from the US to the UK uh, to London. And yeah, that, that was a mad video. <laughs> might talk yeah. about that later, but yeah. So the court case then was was came out of that relationship, that unease that he had with promoting his own work. 
that's when he began to really grow un, uh, unhappy with his relationship with the record company. And uh, in 1992, a year after this album, or two years after this album, um, Listen Without Prejudice, he uh, started legal proceedings against Sony, uh, claiming he was bound in artistic servitude to a company that appears to see artists as little more than software. So he was one of the first of his kind. Along with Prince again, like Prince obviously at the time changed his name to a symbol and uh, called himself and had slave in his videos. Um, there was a similar vibe going on with George Michael, where he had in the Fast Love video, he uh, has phony, I think, written instead of mm. Sony somewhere in the same font. Um, so he said they had failed to promote Listen Without Prejudice because he didn't want to appear or do as many interviews. Um, I mean, he still sold 8 million copies, but that's apparently by that standard at the time, not really enough. Um, and they started to, the relationship was frayed, very frayed to the point where he was like, I'm taking them to court because this contract isn't fair. Um, so I went to court in October, 1993, uh, and it was kind of seen as a test case about what would happen with around contracts in the music industry. Um, and while it did seem to shed light on some of the restrictive practices in the music business, he uh, did not win the court case as the uh, judge deemed that the contract was reasonable and fair. Now, I guess the backdrop about this as well is that really uh, in the documentary, he says uh, retroactively the reason that he pursued this court case was kind of out of, he was he was kind of grieving. He was grieving for his partner that no one really knew about. So mm. do you want to take up that and just tell us a bit about you know, I mean, it's a big part of the George Michael story is um, the media uh, obsession with his sexuality, where mm. he kind of just didn't really care for a lot of it. Um, so I think that's interesting because a huge part of his appeal is, you know, about how he wrote his songs. But also this is a huge, this is an interesting part of who he was. Yeah. I mean, I think like like all queer people. Being queer is not everything that you are, but it's an incredibly important part of who you are. And that's definitely true of George, like as an artist, he was a queer icon from long before he came out. Um, and I'll tell you about that in a second. But I mean, he was constantly asked about his sexuality in his early career, like from from the Wham days, like the tabloids in interviews. It isn't any wonder why he didn't want to do many in- interviews for for that second album because he was just constantly hounded um, by the press to confirm or deny whether or not he was gay, and he would he would he would always neither confirm n- nor deny. You know, it, he would say it, it was it wasn't anybody's business. He referred to later on as a, a kind of an ambiguity um, around his sexuality that just drew all of this speculation because this is a time where if you were to ask a straight artist, are you gay? It it wouldn't be that surprising for someone to say, Oh God, no, no, I'm not gay. You know, in that, in, in that sort of like very like, Oh no, not me, very homophobic way. And then obviously that all changed in the late nineties. Um, after losing his partner to an AIDS related uh, illness, he was, arrested um due to homophobic police entrapment in um in Beverly Hills uh, in the restrooms of a Beverly Hills park uh when he was uh what's the word um yeah entrapped 
um, propositioned yeah, by a, a plainclothes um, cop and who obviously knew that this was George Michael, you know, like this was, um, but apparently it was a, it, it, it was something that was known in the press. So, you know, I guess after, I mean, I, I won't go into t- too much details about that because it's not a nice thing that happened to him, but it was pretty fucking shitty. And I mean, re- remember like the Supreme Court in, in like, this is in, in America in 98, the Supreme Court had upheld the, the constitutionality of sodomy laws um, in the Bowers v. Hardwick case in 1986, right? Which was 12 years previously. And that wasn't overruled until um, 2003. Sodomy was a felony in all states in the US until the early 60s. So we're not very far into the movement at this stage. And I mean, look, even now after Roe v. Wade, LGBT people's rights are at risk because that ruling protected privacy as well as having, you know, a substantial effect on other LGBT cases. So America is very much not out of the woods yet when it comes to queer people. But um, what he managed to do um, in response to this entrapment um was he he came out publicly he didn't he he, he did an interview on on uh, abc uh in which he stated that he is in a relationship with a man he didn't say the words i'm gay but he said i'm in a relationship with a man i um i used to be in relationships with women and now i'm in a relationship with a man and I think I think with the modern lens that we have now, we can understand this as him being forced to come out. But if you're going to be forced to come out, I guess, do it. If you're George Michael, do it with style. And I think the way that he did it would influence queer celebrities that came after him, you know, like his statements and many, many of the interviews that followed suggested that, you know, yes, he was sorry for the event that happened or for what happened in in the in the public bathrooms in the park, but he has absolutely no shame in being a gay man. And even the, the, I'm, I'm sorry for getting arrested or I'm sorry for that day or whatever happened that day. Even that was still, you know, the tongue firmly in the cheek because like cruising was not uncommon. Like it was, you know, it's it, it's something that he's spoken about enjoying doing. It's something he has spoken about being um, something that he did with a great amount of guilt and shame, but that that guilt and shame was sort of part of it for him. And guilt and shame was a part of, you know, a, a lot of gay people's lives in the 1980s, especially in America. And you know, six months later, um, he released Outside, which was his, af- after those interviews, it was his first return to music. Um, and like, so he said about it later, I felt that lightening the stigma around cruising was the most immediately beneficial thing I could do. I know for a fact that when I was 16, 17, when I started cruising, that watching the outside video would have taken some of the weight off my shoulders. And I mean, if anyone, everyone knows the outside video, but if anyone kind of needs, needs a refresher, it is extremely sensual. Um, it's it parodies the um LAPD there are two cops kissing each other in the video there's a lot of men kissing each other 
there's there's interestingly not a lot of women kissing each other and i think that that's because he didn't want the male gaze all over this like the straight mm. male gaze all over the music video um and there's also straight people um as well but it's all done through this lens of like degeneracy and like underground and it's all yeah and you know like there's the helicopter like helicopters followed him everywhere he went after this happened you know like it was the media response to it was unbelievable like it was absolutely huge i slightly remember it i was only seven when it happened but i remember asking my mom like what what is it and mom was like oh um he he was he was kissing a, a man um in in some toilets in america and i was like oh okay and that's all i kind of knew of it because i was like too young to understand what homophobic entrapment was but um but uh yeah there's a clip um um of him speaking to uh cnn about this i spent the first half of my career um being accused of being gay when I hadn't had anything like a, a gay relationship and in fact I was 27 before um, that happened to me so I spent my my years growing up being told what my sexuality was really you know um, which was quite kind of confusing and then by the time I'd kind of worked out what it was and I stopped having relationships with women um, I was just so indignant at the way I'd been treated until then. I was just thought, well, I'll just hold on to this. I don't think they need to know. I don't think I should have to tell them. Um, but, you know, this is as good a time as any. Oh, it's such a good song. It's such a good it's, song. I've, uh, it's my favorite George Michael song, I think. I, yeah, it's, I'd have to agree with you there. It's one of my favorite moments in pop history. Like, not just like queer pop history, but it just, I, I think this as a response, it's so clever. And the song is so fucking smart. Like, had he written a song with this message and it was kind of okay, I think it, it, it would have still gotten all the, like, a lot of attention. But to, to have this message, this absolute fuck you to the media, this fuck you to the, the hypocrisy and the homophobia that was rife within the media, especially around him. Uh, and, and for it to be like a 10 out of 10 no note song, like even the lyrics, like just coming to understand it more, getting older, like even the image of, you know, let's go outside. Obviously, he's he's referring to being in a public place in a public park, um, and that's funny. And then there's also the you know I'm out now, so I'm not in anymore. I'm outside. I'm out of, out of the closet. But it's also like I was thinking about it today and thinking that like a lot of rhetoric around um, gay people at this time, you know, in 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 the nineties, was like 
I don't, I don't care what happens behind closed doors between two people, you know, and there, there was even a lot of that, that sort of rhetoric um, here in Ireland um, around the marriage referendum. Um, and that, that was 2015. A lot of like, what do people do behind closed doors? It's none of my business. It's just these gay people who come out and rub it in your faces and they're holding hands in the street or they're kissing in the street and all, and all, all that sort of thing. I think he... I think he was referencing that as well. Like, oh no, I'm outside. But even any of the bits where he's talking about being inside, there's still a kind of a, there's a glint of like deviance to it. He's like, he's done with the sofa, the hall and the kitchen yeah. table. It's not the bed. <laughs> it's not the marital bed. He's like, no, even when I'm behind closed doors, I'm still doing spicy shit, you know? And it's, <laughs> it's just, it's so, it's such as, it, it's obviously like a, a very like sexually empowering song. And I think it works for, anybody within the LGBT community, but also I think straight people have a lot to kind of get from this as well, because it is just about sexual freedom and about loving who you want to, and also just having sex and not having to love people or be in relationships or anything, just enjoying the sensuality of being a human being. And I just think it's, it's, it's so wonderful. And I mean, that's not even to mention the video, which is just it's so good. Like it, it definitely yeah. wasn't. I, I remember seeing the video when I was younger. Um, and I remember the two cops kissing in it. And I remember there being two men kissing in it, but I rewatched it and I was like, Oh no, there was definitely a cut version of this video when I was younger. Cause that video was raunchy as fuck. Um, and it's, it's brilliant. It's such a masterpiece. Like, you know, it opens with that, like I mentioned earlier, that like seventies porn riff and the, like, you know, the, the hazy sort of like old porn looking like seedy man, like coming onto a woman in a bathroom yeah. stall. And like the moment when, when all the, the urinals turn around and the toilet's a disco and it's just it's so good like visually it, it's so funny and it's like you just see him really getting back into being or, or maybe for the first time starting to openly be this very funny performer in his like music which we hadn't really seen since yeah Wow. He was a very you know, serious artist for a long time. He was. Like even Faith, like Faith, Faith was obviously, we, we can see it now for how camp it was it, during a current lens. But, you know, everyone thought he was straight back then and, and he was just being sexy, straight pop star. But this was just like, uh, uh, this is how you do it. Like it's, and it, and nobody got away with anything. Like it was the media, it was the cops. It was like all of it. It was just fantastic. And it was just such a celebration of, anybody and it was very very inclusive like it was it wasn't just a song for gay men it was a song for the whole movement i think which was really nice um and yeah my theory that there aren't two women kissing in it i think probably yeah. holds up because he didn't want it to be super male gazy and i i like that yeah, yeah. absolutely god this Great is a, this is a lumo club favorite for sure yeah um, yeah this is brilliant. one of the songs and it's magic it's actually one of those songs when I remember the first time I think Gav from Lumo played it once um, and I hadn't heard it in a long time and I was like, wow, what a song. <laughs> You're just like, it's that so is so good. fun. It's, it's so good. good and like his, even his vocal range in it, like the way he opens with the, I think I'm done with it. He opens yeah. so low and then, and then he moves up into his higher register for, um, for the chorus, like his voice is sensate. I mean, we haven't even spoken about his, his vocals yet, but I mean, oh I think yeah, this, well, we're going to talk this about song, that his, for sure. His range in this song 
is so brilliant. And again, it's a song that, you know, you'd understand him showing off his range in the ballads, but it's not, it's not like you need it in this song, but I, I think that opening voice that, that he does the, I think I've done with the sofa, I think I've done with the hall. It is funny as well. Like it's, it's a funny voice while still being brilliant. It's sort of like seedy and like, yeah, it's funny. I really like it. It's great. Oh, that's great. Um, I think it's, yeah, I think outside is definitely one of, it is currently anyway, or has been for a while, one of my favorite songs. From, yeah, I from think George it's always Michael. been outsider freedom for me. Um, and at the moment it's outside because I'm just like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, good for him. Great. And he was on Oprah as well at one point and he was he, like, this is such the, I mean, just to underscore the magnitude of what kind of a pop star he was yeah. talking about this kind of stuff. And and this is what oh, he had to say even on Oprah. with this new album, mm-hmm. accepting you as a gay artist. I'm not worried about it. I think if people, uh, I'm not, I have, to be gen- I have to be totally straightforward here. I'm not really interested in selling records to people who are homophobic, really. Simple as that. <laughs> and a boy, George. Like, oh. I mean, but that's that's something that people are still being asked questions like that now. You know, like yeah. it, it is it is staggering to think like to like I don't think either of us can really put ourselves in a position of like what like I I, I don't know how old, but you you would have still still been a teenager around this time. Like, this, this, I I, yeah. I don't think we could have really. This is ninety eight. Well, I was outside was ninety eight. So I was, yeah, outside was ninety eight. So I was sixteen. Yeah, yeah. So even you know, as 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 a sixteen year old kid, I think like you 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 obviously probably remember it all, but I don't think the magnitude of it would would settle in for a lot of people until later, until we saw the the path that this this decision to be so unapologetic about his sexuality would, would pave for so many artists like male and female, gay, bi, trans, you know, whoever, like everybody loves George Michael. And I think it's because of the, the grace and the humor and just the, like, yeah, just the grace that he, and, and the self deprecation and the absolute sheer pride that he exhibited following his coming out which wasn't his decision um yeah like and i think I that love that's watching something his interviews he's he's incredibly uh charismatic man and very articulate yeah and very funny i love watching his interviews because i do feel like you get a real sense of somebody who really knows who they are and and their sense of being able to communicate that with the rest of the world mm. there's a great bit on parkinson when he's uh, in his 1998 interview um, shortly after all this, when he said um, he's talking about fame and he's talking about the things that drive people to be st- a star, a pop star, he said, I've never met a star who didn't come from the same kind of insecurity as he did. Essentially, mm. like he was he wasn't very happy with how he looked is what he says. And Madness. He was never really <laughs> truly and felt himself. He said, it's the things that are missing that make you a star and not the things that you have. So yeah. said, there's, um, I think that's kind of the drive to get you to somewhere. Yeah. Also, also in that, in that um, interview, sorry, um, which is well worth watching um, if people haven't seen it before. He talks really brilliantly about class as well and about money and movement upwards through class, which I think is, was um, 
very interesting and a little bit about his relationship with his mother in those terms as well which i think is worth have, having a look at um if people haven't seen it it's a brilliant interview yeah it's all on youtube you can watch the entire thing without the music i think the music is separate somewhere but um mm. on youtube too you can have a look at that but it is a, a very good um very good interview and he's he's very funny in it as well mm. <laughs> actually do we have the opening clip, clip we yeah, yeah let's play that finally I have to say before we start, actually, I wanted to say um, that this is a great honour for me because I, I can remember being, I don't know, eight or nine years old and my mum would allow me to stay up beyond a certain um, uh, time in the evening only to watch the Parkinson show. She's got to be a bit of quality watching, so I'm very, very privileged to be here. Well, that's Thank very you. Very kind of you. Very kind of you. It's good to have you. And uh, she probably wouldn't have been quite as quite as thrilled to f- that I had to take my willy out to get on here. <laughs> He's such a charmer. Yeah, I, th- I think you can hear there in his voice. He's like, "Will I say it? Will I say it?" Like this is Michael Parkinson, yeah, you know, British institution. Um, and yeah, just 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 on, on on that sort of unapologetic thing, and how he speaks in interviews. I think, in particular, in America, like I th- I think some of that comes from being a British artist who who went to America, like in the ABC interview and in the Oprah interview, you know, he is in a place that isn't his home. He's in a place where he didn't grow up and he's in a place with much more stringent values when it comes to, uh, when it comes to gay people, uh, not that the UK was a bed of roses for gay people in the 1980s and 1990s, certainly not at all. Um, but they, they, they're a kind of a different, like homophobia in the US is kind of a different breed. Um, so I think for him to go over there and speak so succinctly um, and eloquently about his experiences probably did a lot um, to to introduce people to this idea as being something that isn't actually perverse um, or wrong in any way, that it's just, it's normal and your friendly neighborhood pop star uh is also a gay and that's fine and it's uh, crucially none of anyone's business you know yeah yeah um so what i'd like to do now is maybe uh focus on some of the songs obviously he had so many hits but on some of them you'll hear here but some of them are kind of um yeah let's let's just take a selection of some of the songs and kind of trying to fo- focus on him as a singer as like you said and, mm. and what he was as a singer he was such a great singer and he was such great at, he was so great at ad-libbing and yeah. he was one of the best um singers of the word baby like yeah. he did it in so many ways and uh so a bit of context for this first song um so too funky is a song that was released in 1992 and this was airing in mtv's uh popular heyday certainly i had moved a 10-year-old Nile and his family had moved, made the monumental move from Dublin to Kildare. And uh, we were living in a rented house before we uh, moved into our uh, house uh, at the time. And it was the Euros were on. Denmark won the Euros in 1992. It was a really nice hot summer, I remember. I mean, that's what I remember as a 10-year-old. Uh, Lithium by Nirvana was on MTV. I remember seeing MTV and going, who's this cool band? Mm-hmm. But amongst all that was... This song, which was on the playlist of MTV, and it's kind of stuck out like a sore thumb because it's a song that, like much of George's work, oozed sexuality and desire. It was unashamedly sexy. It had synths and the rhythm. And even as a young lad, I was like, I felt there was something very suggestive about it. Mm. And again, like, like the Freedom video, it had 
supermodels in it. It really added to the glamour of it. It kind of had this kind of, it wasn't quite, it wasn't drag, but it felt like that kind of knowing, like playing towards uh, gender a little bit as well. Mm. So here is uh, Too Funky. listen now for this bit between the uh, with the yeah ad lib I love how he does this here at the end of the song That's too funky, as you can hear there. As you can hear there, that song is, uh, it had that kind of like funky piano house kind of rhythm thing mm-hmm. going on, but it had that, it had a real like body to it as well. And in the video, that's worked really well in terms of each supermodel comes out and dances to it and like struts to it. And it's very much like he's on, he's the uh, behind the video camera uh, mm. offering the, you know, the perspective or actually playing the male gaze in a way, but yeah, um, the kind of voyeuristic sort of yeah. gaze. And yeah. obviously, you know, the song is about, you know, someone who's just too too hot essentially to, to even handle. Like, and yeah. and interesting again, he he did this a number of times and only looking back on it this week I realized that like Too Funky wasn't on an album. It it was on a a his best of actually mm. and he did this a number of times like uh again outside outside was, was only, the same yeah it wasn't it wasn't released on any any album uh, other than a greatest hit so um yeah just a really interesting thing he did a lot which you know mm. you wouldn't have expected maybe um but he did that a lot uh and this is a it was originally um this was actually uh on a project called red hot and dance which was a compilation that raised money for AIDS awareness. And uh, so it never appeared on any studio albums until it appeared on, ladies and gentlemen, the best of George Michael, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next song I want to talk about is uh, Father Figure, which is 
kind of an unusual one, really. Uh, Odd is, song. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, I mean, this is it. what I, I want to talk about this because I'm I I, I really can't get a clear um, answer for certainly the kind of problematic line in it. But I mean, other than that, yeah, I've I've read a piece. Um, and I, I want to quote it back once I play the song "Father Figure." It's it's a beautiful song, um, but it does have some strange tendency, and it certainly um, explores topics that maybe might be considered taboo, or uh, certainly topics that might be questionable to explore as a pop artist. So let's hear "Father Figure." Uh, yeah, but as you hear there, the song has the I will be your father figure, put your tiny hand in mine. I will be your preacher, teacher, be your daddy. Uh, anything you have in mind, I'll be your father figure. I have had enough of crime. So there's a piece in the Ro- in Rolling Stone from Armand White uh, that's called Why George Michael's Father Figure Was Political Subversive Pop Seduction. Um, and it goes, and I'm going to read some of it out to you now. Every time I hear this quite stunning refrain, I realize the only thing preventing it from becoming the new traditional wedding song of the millennium <laughs> is its <laughs> sex pirate vision of love and fidelity. It's too annoying for virginal, virginal wedding night nuptials. Uh, Michael wrote lyrics that insinuate the complicity of intimates. The father figure el- image alludes to the frankly sexual consent of role-playing partners as enjoyed between themselves. Each verse progresses in confidentiality, tenderness, affection. It may seem to go against the rules of equality as set out by political correctness. Perhaps only adult experience can teach a listener to respect the sense of sexual and emotional play that Michael vouchsafes, especially in his con of response catchphrase, I'll be your daddy. It says, uh, father figure is not incestuous, nor is a pro-patriarchy song, but it certainly isn't against the thrilling dynamic of power relations that exist when two people are together. Uh, <laughs> neither is the song about inappropriate age relations. Rather, Michael's put your tiny hand in mind rings like a Sadian nursery rhyme. It absolutely defies wham era bubblegum innocence. Uh, which makes it a pop song for adults. Its most popular mm. line is one that is diehard romantics often mishear as I have had enough of crying. But of course, a song as great as this thrives on ambiguity. But Michael's impetus behind fate was to transcend facile romanticism, which explains the true lyric, I've had enough of crime. So uh, that's that's Armand White's uh, version of, of that song. And still... I mean, tiny hand is just a bit too jarring sometimes. Yeah, so I think I always like, heard it yeah. as as a as for, written from the point of view of somebody who was like 
more experienced in like the queer world than somebody uh, and they're sort of guiding mm-hmm. a newly out person um through you know various first experiences they might have um which is definitely a be- I think a better reading than just being like oh he wrote a song about incest and put a tiny <laughs> yeah, hand yeah, in yeah. mine yeah i i well i i always so, sort of heard it as as that or interpreted it as like you know i'm your father figure in the same way that you know like in the drag community you have mothers and you know you, you'll yeah, have you, you'll yeah. have your mom in in the drag community who you won't have a sexual relationship with um but who they, they'll sort of guide you through that um i always thought it was may, maybe the like similar but very subversive like you know for like i mean that's his first album you know yeah, that's that's 1987 like, yeah and my so mom would have been listening to that just going ah that's lovely that's lovely yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? like just yeah he was just so ahead of it big all song. Like, yeah it was a big for, big song yeah it was a big song <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Because I so remember when, forward, then, when, when when you and I were coming back from Galway, we, we put it on, and the two of us were like, "This is a weird song. Like, this is a really <laughs> weird song." <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great. It though. is. It is. There's beautiful no melody. I think his vocals in it are beautiful. Like he's yeah, so... and he was really good at that. That kind of like going from kind of hushed uh, verse to big chorus. He was yeah. really good at that. Such and a he's done it a lot. Singer. Yeah, he was he was really comfortable with ballads as well, and there's a, I, have a, I have a couple, to, one more especially to talk about in a bit. But um, our next song I want to talk about is "Fast Love" from 1996. Again, uh, uh, certainly for me, coloured from the MTV vibe, the, uh, the vibe of the charts at the at that time, and the music videos, and where there was lots of videos that had these strung out like party models like CK1 style ads in color graded apartments and with like fancy furniture, like Lenny Kravitz videos, Rolling Stone videos. Uh, and this song as well was no different, Fast Love. Um, and if you, if you didn't already know, I mean, this song was essentially his, you know, was a, a part of partly a coming out song as well. Like the line, like, I do believe we are practicing the same religion. Uh, he, he said that as well. He said, you know, I mean, if people were paying attention to my words, they would have they would have realized that fairly quickly. Mm. Let's listen to a bit of fast love. that's fast love that's from 1996 that was very much like one of his big uh bops from that era um a uh this i think it was definitely a single off older the album and, and older is an album that i think where he would describe as his mature album he talked about it in the documentary as mm. being um his 
greatest moment as an album an album about grief and recovery inspired by so i mean just to talk about because he does talk about the uh, relationship he had with anselmo felipe a brazilian dress designer he met in 1992 or 1991 at a concert uh, rock in rio um six months later felipe discovered he was hiv positive um and then a year later from that he died of an aids-related brain hemorrhage and so the next song is really he went a number of years really without doing much because he was grieving and mm. you know understandably like the background of some of the court case he says in in the documentary is that he was angry he was angry and he was grieving and that's one of the reasons why he went and did the court case because he was upset and he wanted you know some time thing to Time and something good to come of it as well, but it was only when he wrote this next song um, did he feel like he was moving towards uh, breaking that kind of um, writer's block spell. So the song in question is Jesus to a Child. So that song, obviously, you know, it's a very, it's a very mature sounding song. It's very much like a, it's got a kind of bossa nova feel to it. Obviously, mm. I, I, in terms of the song, it, like that's referencing the Brazilian style with having Anselmo's um, heritage and where he's from. Um, it's an important song in this discography because of that it's not it 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 allowed him to move past the grief a little bit and come back to music spurred him on certainly uh, and it's a very melancholic songs very mature songs very mature ballad um, yeah so i remember loving been, this song when i was young yeah i was really into it <laughs> really? <laughs> no, I, yeah well, obviously I had no idea what it was about and i had no interest in jesus I think I think I knew that he wasn't really singing about Jesus, and I thought no, cool. yeah, you can tell. I mean, it's just, but it's no, just, but a, it's in, a like, kind of a was, weird. Like you when, know. when when I was a kid, I think what attracted me to the song was, oh, this song he's saying Jesus, but I don't think he's talking about Jesus, and I I didn't even know what like subverting was at that stage, but I think I kind of understood that there was something like that going on, and I just think because I think this is one of his best vocal performances in any song. Yeah. Like, I think it's just he sounds so pained or so like that it, it, the, when when he's singing um when when you find love is that it is it yeah. those the lyrics like wh- yeah when when you find your love just how he sings the word find it's just so like so full of pain and oh i just think his his voice is stunning in the song yeah and i funny uh listening back to this today i kind of got went 
wow, this could be an Adele song. <laughs> you could hear Adele singing this song so easily. And indeed, she didn't sing this song, but she did sing the tribute um, at the Grammys to uh, George Michael. She sang a slow version of Fast Love in tribute to him. Um, but I could certainly, there's certainly some kind of mature uh, pop sound I can hear here that uh, rivals Adele in that way. So also on the older album is a song called Spinning the Wheel, which is notable because it's one of the first songs that really, uh, certainly one of the first songs in pop culture talking about, you know, AIDS and the, um, from a, from a gay man's perspective as well, it talks about, you know, getting the chance that you might get AIDS from somebody and, you know, and that's what spinning the wheel is about. It's about that Mm. kind of. uh, And he wasn't out at this stage when the song came out, which is amazing. Yeah, so the song peaked at number two in the UK, uh, kept off the top only by Spice Girls Wannabe, which is interesting because when you hear the song, you're like, it doesn't sound like it. It's not a big song like that. So let's have a listen to Spinning. So that is spinning the wheel. And I think to shine a light on George Michael, the the singer, the showman, there's one of my favorite uh, versions. of, And he's done a lot of, obviously, uh, covers. And um, he did songs duets. with... Duets. Duets, yeah. He did his songs with uh, Mary J. Blige, Whitney Houston. Aretha. Who'd you say there? Aretha. Aretha, of course. And Elton John Elton as well. John, Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me. Did a great cover of Stevie Wonder uh, mm. as well. On um, He had an album of covers, didn't he? Yeah, I believe he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not one I've really gone into too much, but... Um, no, I think it was his poorest selling album. Yeah, yeah. Which is that kind of makes fair, sense. I think. Because it was called Songs from the, the Last Century. You know, it's yeah. very much a... Feels like a tied in... I have to do yeah. this kind of label deal, funny enough. Yes. Um, so, I mean, he did go back to Sony <laughs> after all of that, ultimately, mm. after all his court case woes. So um, it, it, he did end up back with them. Um, but this next song is a live recording. Well, it, it, there is a version of it as well that's on um, it, but it's a very much a live thing, this. So this is... Um, the song is Papa Was a Rolling Stone um, with Killer from Adamski. And I think the great thing, there's a brilliant YouTube clip of this. It's so good. Mm. And his live, his vocals, he was so good at like ad-libbing, doing that kind of, um, like I said earlier on with babies and yeah. And like those kind of like fundamental ad-libs that uh, singers do. It's so I mean, soulful. 
Yeah, and the only thing about him, I think his only downfall, if he had one, was that he wasn't a great dancer, really. But he had one, mm. he had one dance move that involved swinging his hands loads, and he did it kind of in a jai fashion. And he really made it work for him. So in the video for Killer Popper was a Rolling Stone. When you watch it, watch it because he's running around the stage, right? He's running around mm. this big stage. The band are kind of in the round, and he's going around and he's he's giving it loads to the audience, and he's like, and he's running over, and he does his dance move, and he's doing this and uh but you just notice it like the whole time he just only has that one dance move so uh, yeah. it is great here's here's a bit of the audio with a lot of the um the uh audience can be heard as well There are very few songs that, um, live versions of songs that I will play when I'm DJing, and that's one of them because there's no other mm. real version of it, and I just love the energy of it. Definitely one to watch on YouTube. We put this in the show notes as well um, to uh, show you that as well. It's so worth watching. I was watching it with my parents recently, and we were just like, Cause my mom, because that's the great thing about about uh, George Michael. Like, Mom's love. That's fun fact number one. Moms love George Michael. Moms That's love it. it's, it's all you need to know. Mom doesn't love George Michael. Like they love him. In the same, yeah. they all love Abba. They all love George Michael. Like it's they all love the Backstreet Boys. Yeah, they love them. It's great. Okay, I'll give you some other uh, fun facts about uh, George Michael. Well, like, um, he was sued by Barry Manilow. Well, the, Wham was sued by Barry Manilow over the song Last Christmas because apparently it sounds a lot like Can't Smile Without You, which it kind of does. But uh, I don't think he didn't. Um, they eventually settled out of court in this. Uh, this is the mid 80s. So Barry Manilow's songwriters claimed that George Michael plagiarized the melody of Last Christmas from can't smile without you know can't smile without you so yeah you can cure some similarities there it's out of the court and uh george michael donated the first year of last christmas royalties to the band-aid charity so in fairness 
he he got That's a, a win for everybody. An okay deal out of that. He also yeah. was not one to shy away from political um topics, especially during the Iraq War. Uh, Shoot the dog. The song the dog. is about the relationship between the British and American governments, in particular Tony Blair and George W. Bush. It's I like that song. Yeah, what well, it samples. I'm, I'm, I, uh, I think the, it's good, and I like the video as well. It's yeah, edge lord extremism, but it's very it's good. much so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it samples, I believe, in Love um, by mm. Human League as well. Love Action, that great song. Um, yeah, it's so great. A really good one. He was also a secret philanthropist. This came out after his death. So he obviously, I mean, we'll, I don't think we'll ever forget it. I'd never forget it because he died on, oh, it was God, his death Christmas announced Day. on Christmas Day 2016. 2016. And Which was the year when everyone died. Yeah. Um, celebrity wise kicked off by david bowie in in uh january and then just it was it was like the lot like it was so sad because it was like you're nearly at the end of the year christmas day george michael you're like for fuck's sake this year yeah. end so yeah, he died of awful. heart muscle disease and he was a man that always and liver disease i think liver disease yeah he he, he yeah. was a man that always struggled with um um more, I mean, not. He talks about it a lot in terms of he didn't struggle with alcohol, but he 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 had a lot of uh, prescription yeah, drugs, substance abuse issues. Uh, yeah. yeah, some some substance abuse. Uh, certainly talked about smoking uh, a lot of grass, is what he says. Mm. Uh, and he explained he he used to smoke twenty five um, spliffs a day, and and it brought yeah. down to seven or eight, you know. Um, and he said his his cannabis use was a big problem. Um, he wished he could smoke less of it. Certainly, don't know how much that contributed to his death ultimately, but he did get yeah. in trouble a number of times in terms of like his driving as well. He was intoxicated once um, when driving and uh, crashed. Sorry, not intoxicated under the influence of drugs, um, and he crashed yeah. his Range Rover into a shop in London as well. And that was that came after all that stuff. But it can be with- so difficult for celebrities even now but i mean especially when he was when he was first coming up you know he's very young very impressionable and you know for normal people like there's there's a degree of having to try to get your hands on drugs right you need to have the number of a dealer you need to know somebody and you're very much you know engaging in an act of like oh if i get caught doing this this is very illegal but like there's this there was this quote, oh, I'm going to butcher it. It was, it was Nina Simone. So Nina Simone, after a show, was asked, somebody came into her dressing room and said, Ms. Simone, is there anything that we can get for you? And she said, I'll take some champagne, some cocaine and some sausages, um, which is obviously amazing. Um, you know, Queen, we love that. But also that it goes to show how easy it is for people within show business to just like snap their fingers and have drugs. Um, and you can imagine how easily you can fall into addiction uh, through that as well. So like I do, I, I feel very sorry for people like George who just kind of grew up in an industry where nobody would ever say no to him and where this kind of stuff would have been offered to him like all the time. So, yeah. He definitely seemed to have more wherewithal in terms of, um, awareness at least of what his what damage he was doing to himself yeah. in that regard but found it very hard then to separate that because you know ultimately he talks about when his mother died as well that was a very big uh, uh, period of grief for him and then he returned to the, this is when a lot of this kind of tabloidy stuff happened when he was trying to 
kind of deal with that. He, you know, yeah. he, he drove uh, under the influence of drugs and crashed a car. Yeah. And that's what a lot of when this happened. And, um, but you know, and I think when you don't have people around you who say no to you. Like, yeah, if, like who's who's going to say no? If, if you're getting behind the wheel of your car intoxicated and you're surrounded by yes people who who can't say no to you because mm. they're afraid of you, essentially, because they work for you. Um, and if you don't have a support system there in terms of family or a partner, if you've lost your partner, you know, like you understand why these things happen. This this happened with, you know, the the tabloid women of the early 2000s as well, the Paris Hiltons, the Lindsay Lohans. And like it's such a it's such a volatile industry and it treats people who take drugs um, or who have active addictions um, with such contempt. And I think the way that he was treated around that time was re- reprehensible. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, one of the things that came out after he died is that he was actually a secret philanthropist. Um, so he had don- donated um, Jesus to a child, the the entire royalties from that single uh, Jesus to a child to uh, a, a charity. And uh, Esther Ranson, said, the founder of Childline, I didn't know she was the founder of Childline, uh, said, that uh, she, he had given them millions over the years and he had privately supported various charities for many years. He also uh, uh, supported the Terence Higgins Trust as well as the Macmillan Cancer Support. Uh, he also once called the production team of the TV quiz Deal or No Deal after a contestant revealed she needed £15,000 uh, to fund IVF treatment and anonymously oh. paid for the treatment. Oh my God. He once tipped That's a student. Incredible. Yeah. He once tipped a student nurse working as a barmaid £5,000 uh, because he overheard that she was in debt. In 2017, another woman came forward to reveal he had anonymous, anonymously paid for her IVF treatment of seeing her talk about her issues on this morning. Uh, the woman gave birth to a girl in 2012. So just oh these things, he didn't, like, secretly, this only came out that's after he died. That's made me really emotional. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's that's incredible. Yeah. yeah. A kind person. So to reference earlier on, you were saying about Curtis Whisper. Apparently he wrote that song when he was 17 uh, mm. on his way to work, sitting on a back of a bus. So Love there it. you go. Uh, and do you know what George Michael's favorite song is? No. Well, on Desert Island Discs, he said his favorite song was Amy Winehouse's Love is a Losing Game. Ah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. That feels yeah. like a song he might have written. Um, (laughs) yeah that that makes sense to me I've never listened to his Desert Island Discs no I haven't either actually Uh, yeah I might listen to that today yeah Yeah, definitely if you haven't had enough of George Michael yet yeah no never never enough Um, (laughs) especially just hearing him speak like I think I think you you and I have uh, like through kind of doing our research for this have become very enamored with George Michael the interviewee um, (laughs) as well as the pop star because he is he's so lovely yeah yeah, there's plenty to explore there, and there's plenty we didn't cover on this episode, of course. But yes, uh, of course. you know, um, if you want a George Michael playlist, hit me up. But um, yeah, you know, I'd have to say the best album is the best of George Michael. I would have to say <laughs> the best of George Michael. <laughs> I, I thought that earlier. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, it's great. It is. It great. is. Yeah, it, I mean, I think I it was the only it, album we ever had in the house. I don't think we had Faith. Um, yeah. He's just, he's not, I think you and I were talking about this the other day. He's just not really, to me, an album's Yeah, I mean, artist. he only had five albums in his entire careers, which isn't, which isn't seems, a lot. 
I was surprised when you said that to me because we were on the phone the other day talking about doing this episode and I was like, yeah, God, I don't know how many albums he has. And you were like, oh, it's only five. I was like, what? Yeah. He really? did more singles like, than he did albums, really. Mm. And, and, and if you're counting one of those as the uh, songs from the last century in 1999, it's not really yeah. one that you'd really want to count. It's a, it's a yeah. chorus album. So really four, um, essentially. And then mm. Patience was his last in 2004 which has Shoot the Dog, Freak and Amazing on it. And full of a lot of, yeah, a lot of like the dancey kind of stuff that where he uh, co-opted on those songs as well. So yeah, so this is George Michael. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Um, it was our pleasure to um, spend time with the music and the person, George Michael, uh, in yeah. over with various interviews. And um, as I said before, uh, if you like what, what you heard and you want to support us and you want to join the Patreon and Discord community that we have with 909 is patreon.com forward slash 909. You get access to the Discord community um, and have chats about music with some nice people, including ourselves and, uh, and much, much more and playlists and all kinds of things. So yeah, we're all here for you and uh, we hope you enjoyed the episode as well. So yeah. Thank you, Thanks, Andrea. Everyone. Thanks, Niall. Bye, everyone. Bye. These are the days of the empty hand. Oh, you hold on to what you can. The charity is a coach you wear twice a year. This is the year of the beauty man. Your television takes a stand. You find that what was over there is over here. So you scream from behind your door. Say what's mine is mine and not yours. I may have too much, but I'll take my chances. Cause God stopped keeping score. And you cling to the things they sold you. Did you cover your eyes when they told? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? 
Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 